Buongiorno, buon pomeriggio e buonasera. Benvenuti al TT Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the TT Podcast. We're 10 stages in, four breakaway wins, 1,600 meters of gravel, and still there's a sense that most of the action is yet to come. Joining me to go back over the first week and a bit of racing at the Giro d'Italia is my co-host Tom. Tom, how are you? Did you enjoy that little uh, Italian intro there? Sì, certo, mi è piaciuto. Yeah, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Always love shoehorning in any Italian possible. Uh, so thanks to your random Italian flatmate for recording that for us. So I'm not going to let anyone be under any illusions that it was you who said that. So. <laughs> Poor guy. I ambushed him in the kitchen the other day and I was like, Andrea, I need you to record an intro in Italian for my podcast. I was like, just send it in a WhatsApp voice note. That's fine. I can put it in, but I need it in Italian. And uh, within five minutes, I had that. I mean, caught me off guard when you just sent me the voice the recording over whatsapp and just said this is going in i was like yeah great molto bene you thought i'd learn italian in a week yeah (laughs) um tom this past week i have developed a newfound well not a newfound but a more kind of strengthened more enhanced respect for grand tour riders i'm going to need you to tell me why basically i was hoping you'd ask that basically last week (laughs) i played football for an hour on wednesday it's the first time I played football in a good solid seven to eight months, right? Mm-hmm. Then on the Thursday, I went for a 50-kilometer cycle. And by the Friday, my legs were in such a horrific state. They were in bits that I could barely lift my legs up to put my trousers on. I'll be honest. I was under, I'm going to say under illusions again, but I did not think that Grand Tours were not difficult. If, if anything, rather than gaining respect for Grand Tour riders, I think maybe I've lost some for you. Uh, yeah, I think I lost a bit of self-respect after that as well, to be honest. I thought I had it in me. I mean, I'm a ripe old age, there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to do a two and a half hours work or two and a half hours of exercise a week and uh, not be able to get out of bed the next day. Did you score? I scored two, yeah. Okay, well, that's a bit better then. Wait, it, we, we are talking seven-a-side football here where the final score is about 30-28. So uh, <laughs> my two in context, it seems good, but actually it's not that good. Uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about football, Tom. No. We're here to talk about the Giro d'Italia. Have you enjoyed the racing so far? I have, absolutely. Uh, I always do. It's just what's not to like. Uh, the bike racing's good. The vineyards and the 15th century buildings in the background, very good. It's, uh, I don't know, there's just an atmosphere about the Giro that does, I don't know, Italy's just really not. I mean, I am biased, obviously, but Italy's just great. <laughs> Um, let's go through then some of the big talking points from this first 10 stages that we've had. Um, even that 10 stages, now they have a rest day. I know, I, mean, I was surprised today. needed a rest day. I thought it was a late rest day. You normally come in after about seven or eight, don't you? The, no. So they've, uh, yeah, they've done them done them dirty here, but I'm sure they're appreciating the rest of it. The- well, they're not, because they'll go out on a ride anyway, and they'll go, oh, just a short 100k one. And please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> The first real talking point I wanted to discuss was stage five. 
Now, I think stage one was incredibly predictable. Even we managed to predict that Ghana would win stage one <laughs> and he completely blitzed it as predicted. Since then, there wasn't too much that was interesting. And I think the big main talking point from those first five days came on stage five, where there was quite a difficult finish into Catolica. Now we had a sequence of left-handers uh, and a few big GC candidates crashed out on that stage, uh, notably Pavel Sivakov, Mikhail Lander. Now, Tom, we are once again talking about rider safety on this podcast. Um, as I said, a number of left-handers in that final kilometre or so into the finishing Catolica. Where do you stand on these finishes? Do you want kind of dicey, interesting finishes into you know a nice little city, or do you want just a straight up two kilometer flat road sprint straight to the line? Uh, it's a tough question because obviously, you know, the correct thing to say is that rider safety has to be the uh, biggest priority. But I want as interesting and technical a finish as possible because it, it's just it's better to watch. Let's be honest, like I. I love a bunch sprint, but it's not the same when you've got, when they're coming in, you know, down an eight lane motorway with four trains spread across the road, just doing whatever they want each. Um, you want them to have, you know, a, a, a roundabout with, with a K and a half to go or whatever. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, you look at the guys who crashed out as well. It wasn't, it wasn't the sprint teams. That's the thing. It was GC riders who, who got on the wrong end of it and, if the inside 3k I, hmm, there's not really any excuse for that to happen i don't think well the thing is you've got to be aware that obviously all the riders have access to the road book i mean nowadays with google maps all of them will look up these finishes on google street view they'll go through it step by step each bit of the road what seems to be the, the issue here is what you've highlighted there is that the sprint trains are the ones that are looking at these maybe not the gc riders they're trying to t- taking it for granted that they can just follow the peloton through and they're not paying attention to uh, where the road furniture is. And then it, that, you know, to that extent, is it is the onus on the riders maybe to be, you know, to ride within their ability on these roads? Yeah, I mean, this is just, you know, there's there's certain riders who seem to fall foul of these sorts of incidents all the time. Uh, Richie Porte made a career out of it, obviously. Um, I, I was surprised at Sivakov because Ineos and Dave Brailsford don't leave anything to chance. If there's one GC team that is going to study the roadbook meticulously, it would be them. Um, but Lander, he's probably quite used to an accident or two here, here and there. Uh, talking about accidents, let's move on to stage six, uh, where we saw one of the big talking points, which was Peter Seri getting hit by uh, a car, or should I really say struck by the bike exchange DS driving a car. I think, I mean, it was nice to see everyone uh, just agree and blame the UCI for this as well. It was completely <laughs> their fault, apparently. Uh, it's all to do with their new rules. Riders are going back to cars far more often. And, you know, the guy driving the car into the back of the cyclist was blameless, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it was kicked off the course and they were, dealt, I think it was 2,000 Swiss 2, francs. Swiss francs to uh, Matt White was the other DS in the car with them. I can't remember his gene... I think it's Bates, something like that. He's he's an Aussie guy. He's on, like, I religiously watch their backstage pass videos and he's notable by his absence from them in the last two or three days. Um, <laughs> but, and to be fair, on the um, the one they released on the day it happened, 
they made absolutely no mention of it at all. Just a massive elephant sat in the corner of the room. I just, we're not going to talk about that. And, but then the next day they did, they had a little thing of him going like, obviously the most important, I've spoken to Seri and he's okay. Uh, I just want to apologize to the team. And yeah, it was a mistake. I loved how I think Quickstep came out and posted something on Twitter and the uh, official bike exchange account replied like, sorry guys. And it was like a whoopsie law. What can you do? Sorry about that. The general consensus seems to be that people are surprised this doesn't happen more often. But uh, yeah, obviously it wasn't intentional. It's it's an accident. Uh, the guy's been punished. And I think that probably draws a line under it. There was no lasting damage done to the rider. He's still in the race. Uh, so yeah, um, I mean. I think I heard something, and someone will need to fact check this, but I think I heard something recently after that crash that Peter Seri was also hit by a motorbike in Catalonia this year. So, um, oh, you've got to look at the common denominator, then it's yeah, this is the issue. (laughs) He must have magnets in his bike or something. If he he can't be trusted to ride safely on these roads, he shouldn't be he shouldn't be taking part. (laughs) Um, moving swiftly on, stage eight. Aside from the racing, we saw another one of the big talking points, which was Caleb Ewan withdrawing. Now, one person that's going to be happy about that is Giacomo Nizzolo, who come second like it's going out of fashion the thing with Ewan was a lot of people were very upset about it and eddie Merckx has made comments about the professionalism and the disrespect for the race but calebian made no he made no secret about wanting to leave the race at this point he's made it clear at the start of the season that his goal was to win a stage in all three grand tours and you're not going to do that if you ride to the final day in all three of them no and <laughs> I get to be honest. I I don't have a problem with it. If if it had if there hadn't been this fuss brought up on social media, I wouldn't have given it second thought. Just I thought it was the done thing. To be honest, uh, sprinters drop out before the mountains in Grand Tours all the time, especially in the Giro. It's the early season one. People don't know what their legs are like, and what's the point in staying on? Half the sprinters in the Tour only stay on because they've got Paris at the end, and that is a massive thing for sprinters. Caleb Ewan's got the prospect of however long it is a time trial into Milan that is just going to ruin him for the next week. What is he going to stay on for? Well, Caleb Ewan, I was looking back at his participations in the Giro and this is his fourth participation and his fourth DNF. So, I mean, look, if you're analysing trends, don't be so shocked about this happening. Um, Tom, I have run some numbers for you and I've got some figures that are going to blow your mind. Go on. Right. So the Italians mainly the bit of the Italians that were kicking up a fuss about this, about Ewan pulling out. I mean, obviously it comes from a place of wanting to see him race. He's the best mm-hmm. sprinter in the world at the moment. And to have him on that course riding in your country is a great thing for the publicity of the sport and the publicity of the race. Now, Italy's very own sprinter, fashionista extraordinaire, Mario Cipollini. I, I, as soon as you said fashionista, I knew what was coming there, but yeah. <laughs> he made a career out of doing this, about winning stage rates, stages, and then sacking it all off, putting his feet up, sunbathing, and he'd post pictures as well. So he'd post pictures on social media of him with his feet up, cocktail in hand, saying, hope you're all enjoying the Giro, guys. Um, in his career, do you know how many stage wins he got at the Giro? Uh, 12. 42. Wow, okay. <laughs> which is the equivalent of two entire Giri. Um, He took part in his career in 27 Grand Tours. How many of those do you think he finished? Uh, four. He finished six. Yeah. <laughs> um, all of them Giro d'Italia. 
He uh, abandoned eight Giri. Uh, he took part in eight tours to France uh, and didn't finish a single one. Never got to Paris. Shocking. <laughs> and it's he's shocking. Yeah. And people were like, oh, well, you know, sprinters don't usually do this. I was like, they've been doing it for years. It's not surprising. The tour stat does surprise me because, as I said, a lot of sprinters will hold on to get to Paris and have a crack at that because that is that's the biggest thing a sprinter can win apart from the Olympics or the World Championships mm. uh, or maybe Milan San Remo. But, um, yeah, I mean, have you got the numbers on the Vuelta as well? It's just Well, the Vuelta's the rest. But um, yeah. while I was getting into a flow of looking up numbers, I decided I'd go back and see who the last person was to win a stage in all three Grand Tours in the same year. Now, this is somebody that you mentioned on the podcast either last episode or the episode before? Uh, oh, it's in, I'm sure I saw a tweet about this, but I can't remember what the name was. So it was Alessandro Pataki. Ah, okay, yeah. And this this is the stat that completely blew my mind. So that year, he, complete, he completed the Vuelta. He did 18 stages of the Giro, um, did a handful of stages of the Tour. I think he did about seven stages of the Tour. Mm-hmm. Um, how many stages do you think he won across all three? Three. In that one year? Yeah, one at each. 15. What? <laughs> he won 15 Grand Tour stages across all of them that year. There's that first... was in a proper... That that era as well for sprinters was absolutely packed. That was, you know, he's there doing that against Robbie McEwen and Oscar Freire and people like that. And that is impressive. For a sprinter to win 15 Grand Tour stages across their entire career is formidable for him to do that in one year yeah i mean i don't know what to say to that <laughs> but he was one pataki like like a fine wine as well he, he won the green jersey at the tour at the age of about 38 39 didn't he he was uh he had a lovely little swan song at the end of his career now tom another rider who doesn't stray away from big achievements is egan bernal um we saw what the young Colombian was capable of on stage nine, where there was mayhem on the gravel. Tom, how did you enjoy that stage? Uh, the finish was absolutely brilliant. This was my sister actually rang me, so I had to pause it. I got a message come through from you, and I saw it was a a picture of the results, and I had to I had to not open my phone for twenty minutes because uh, I had the TV paused while I was um, watch. I couldn't have it on mute or whatever while I was on the phone. I it was really good, and I just had to. Yeah, go back and watch it all. Uh, I thought the break was going to make it, and then they reeled it in so quickly. And then Bernal just blew the field away. So I felt really sorry for Geoffrey Bouchard and the uh, and Bowman, the Jumbo Visma guy, who, mm. as just a side note here, Jumbo Visma have been absolutely absent from this race. Um, shocking. Uh, uh, there's a couple of their riders have disappointed a bit not done quite as well as we thought I mean, George Bennett went backwards very quickly that day I think which shocked me um, yeah look Tom we're not going to give them the time on this podcast if they're not going to race they're not getting mentioned if Wout Van Aert's not in the team we don't care yeah carry on right <laughs> Egan Bernal's a monster um yeah you say the speed they came at has his train pulling for him then he just whips around these guys like he's you know mm. running past some toddlers in the park out the saddle on the gravel big ringing it and he held it to the line as well. He just kept on getting opening up the gap. Uh, yeah. It was, what, 12 seconds in the end or something? It was a great, great ride, plus uh, any bonuses. I don't know if there were any available on the line. I thought as uh, well, 
if I were a sub-editor at a national newspaper, I thought of what my headline would be for that stage. Oh, no. Bernal leaves Remco in the dirt. Uh, I don't get it. Where's the it, pun it, there? Because it's, a, it's, a, the, it's on the gravel. Yeah, I get that. And Remco lost a bit of time. Okay. Um, you're not feeling can, it? Well, yeah. I, I mean, you're not uh, the editor of a national newspaper. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, as we get into talking about Egan Bernal here, I think it's time, Tom, that we do another reading on the podcast. Uh, this time it is courtesy of Matt Rendell and his book, Colombia is Passion, uh, which I read last summer. Uh, it is a beautiful book. Uh, Matt Rendell writes some of the most exquisite cycling prose I've ever read. Uh, and the book kind of looks at, it's, it's a fusion of the cycling superstars that have come out of Colombia. And it tells their story alongside the kind of political history of the country. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked here. The reading is um, Egan Bernal's first ever bike race win. Um, and let's see if you can draw the parallel to his win uh, on the gravel in, in the Giro d'Italia. So it reads, One Sunday in 2005, when Egan was eight, a kid's cycling event was being held in a park in Zipikira by a former professional rider named Fabio Rodriguez. Herman Bernal, Egan's father, knew Fabio. They trained together and they fell into conversation. My father didn't want me to take part, Egan told me, so he said he didn't have enough change to pay the entry fee, even if it was only 2,000 pesos, which is about 50p. One of his friends, a man named Cesar Bermudez, was also in the park, so I asked him to pay for me, and he did. Fabio Rodriguez recalls, he was tiny, and we didn't have a helmet for him. He found one somewhere, and even though it was way too big for him, he was able to race. As Egan remembers it, I couldn't see much, so I didn't realise I had won until somebody told me. The prize was a proper cycling uniform. I always wore football shorts and a sweatshirt, so I was really happy. I mean, as soon as you said you were going to read about Egan Bernal, we, we all knew he was going to win. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it just speaks volumes about the man, because obviously when you're coming through any setup in Colombia, it's probably not the same as the elite cycling academies you have in Europe. Uh, football shorts and a jumper sounds very much like the sort of stuff I would go out for a bike ride in, not uh, a recent Tour de France winner. So, yeah, it just shows the differences. I mean, obviously he was eight years old as well. There's some wonderful stories in this book. There's a story in this book about how, I think it was Nairo Quintana, used to commute to and from school in this like heavy, heavy mountain bike up and down a hill that you and I, Tom, would probably have to train months for if we wanted to get to the top of it. And he'd race the school bus home up it. Oh, it's these big Andean climbs that just go on forever. <laughs> um, the thing is, on that race, we saw Egan kind of pulling away. And the reason he needed to do that was because I think in the back of his mind, he knows that if this comes down to that final time trial into Milan, Remco's got the upper hand. The formula for winning any Grand Tour has always been, you know, have the climbing ability, but you've got to back it up with the time trialing. That's why any of the various Frenchmen that you love can't actually win a Grand Tour because none, even the, the best climbers can't time trial um, from France has been the case recently. I'd yeah, uh, be careful about running your mouth here because my guy Romain Bardet is, he's quite, he's still in there. He's still in the mix and we're not even in the was, high mountains yet. He was fourth, wasn't he on the, oh no, he was seventh on the day. Uh, was he? Seventh, when? yeah. Seventh on the day. Um, 
But we've got it's, we've got the big gravel stage coming up I on know. Wednesday, and that's yeah. the one he's going to win. But as I say, I, I do think I don't. You look at Bernal; he doesn't seem to have the build for it. But you know, neither do a lot of uh, neither do a lot of riders, and they can surprise you. So, yeah, I mean, it's obviously not a bad tactic to take as much time in the mountains as you can. But <laughs> he might he might surprise us with the time trial as well. Yeah, I don't think that was particularly groundbreaking uh, yeah. tactics from you there, Tom. No. I have a little Jira quiz for you, Tom, uh, on the action that we've seen so far. This is not going to go well because I have watched so little of this race live that uh, I've had to, I've been at work, you know, following it on Twitter and whatever, but I've, apart from the two stages over the weekend, I've, I've not seen much of it live. <laughs> okay, right. Let's see then. And Question I paused one. at the weekend. Question one. Uh, at 76 kilometers on stage two, what animal ran across the road? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> um, question one. How many collarbones have been broken at the Giro so far this year? Ooh. Um, do we know what happened to uh, Morahich in the end? Do we know what his injuries were? Just a slight concussion, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, for somebody that went head over handlebars and landed directly on their head I think he got off quite lightly with a snapped the bike in two yeah but Uh, I can confirm that his was not a broken collarbone I am gonna say five uh so we had Chris Nealands on stage one stage one Uh, brutal then stage five claimed three three victims on stage five uh Francois Bidard Pavel Sivakov and Mikhail Lander. It's four is the answer. No more since then. No, but Lander gave a tip. He uh, cost him some ribs as well. <laughs> um, I have broken my collarbone before and I have broken my ribs before and both were incredibly painful. So don't do it. Neither of them cycling either. How did you break your... Uh, did you do it at the same time? How did you manage that? No. Um, God, the rib story we don't need to go into. That was on a night out. Uh, <laughs> but um, the collarbone was playing football. I was tackled and fell on it. Okay. That doesn't on a, sound on so a, graceful. School playground on like concrete. So yeah, it was a heavy landing. It wasn't a nice soft, lush carpet somewhere that uh, that I'm used to playing football on. <laughs> um, question two. I've got a bit carried away with this. So apologies for this. Um, yesterday... Sagan won the sprint into Filonio. The town plays host to a jousting tournament dating back to the 1500s. With which Colombian cyclist does the tournament share its name? For goodness sake. Oh, it must be. Is there a Colombian cyclist with an Italian sounding name? He is a Malia Rosa winner. Um, not Nairo. Yeah, it is Nairo. Well, the, the jousting tournament is called the Giostro de la Quintana. I would never, ever have got that. Listeners of this podcast who are also keen uh, jousters will know that a quintain or a quintana uh, is a jousting tool that you strike and it spins around and there's a sandbag on the other side. Um, I'm not very good at explaining it, but obviously anyone that is a keen jouster will know exactly what I'm talking about. Question three, we're back onto cycling. Um, <laughs> a lot more straightforward, this one. Uh, how many different people have worn the pink jersey? Oh, uh, 
Right. So, must have been Ganna on the first stage. I'll give you a bonus point if you can name all four as well. Well, you've just told me how many it is. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. What have I done? So, I'm going to say four. Yeah, go on. Right. (laughs) You're going to have to go for the bonus point now. I'm so ashamed. Uh, Right. Ganna from the first stage. Yeah. Tim Merlier must have had it after the second stage. No. Did he? Who has it now? Right, Burnell has it now. So Correct. he's he's one of them. Um, there was the FDJ Hungarian guy. What's his name? Attila something. Definitely wore it for a few days. Attila Valter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this was the one I it? forgot about as well. I so who had when it I went through, them, I got those him. three, and I forgot about this fourth one. Um. So who? You might remember images of Alex Dowsett on the front of the peloton pulling for his teammate in uh, in pink. I do, and I know what team he rides for, and I've been desperate not to mention them given everything that's in the news at the moment. <laughs> uh, but who was the teammate? Uh, no, I don't know. It was uh, Alessandro DeMarchi. Oh, I wouldn't have got that. No. No. Uh, and the final question I have for you, Tom, is, and it's backed by popular demand, is the guess the rider. Now, because it's a bit more straightforward this time, um, you're going to get two guesses across all. So there's five statements. You can have two guesses, not at each point. So you have two guesses throughout. So don't use up your guesses early if you're not sure, I would say. Okay. Uh, and please more... don't get it right early on because I don't have a backup <laughs> this time. Right, so I'll just make sure there's no Madonna-themed questions in there and we'll be okay. No. So the person that I am going to now describe is a stage winner of the Giro this year. Yeah, there's been 10 of them, so I'm not going to guess yet. Well, there's not been 10. No, because, okay, there's been, yeah. But there's been more than one, so. (laughs) Okay, first statement. This is my first participation in the Giro. Okay. You're going to guess or you want to, you're on the second one? No, no, I'm going to play it safe. Uh, my first sporting success came in cyclocross. Right. So I've got one in mind. There's, there's only about three countries that do cyclocross. So he's got to be Belgian or Dutch. But um, I'm going to take another clue, please. <laughs> uh, my best Grand Tour finish is 20th in last year's Vuelta. All right, that is interesting. See, I wanted to say Merlier. Uh, yeah, I but, thought you might. Yeah, but um, he's not going to finish 20th at the Vuelta. <laughs> I threw in a little uh, red herring for you there. Um, so it's not Peter Sagan. It's not Caleb Ewan. You've got two more statements left. And you still got uh, two guesses. So... He started in cyclocross. This is his first Giro and his best Grand Tour finishes 20th at the Vuelta. Um, no, give me another clue. Right. The fourth statement is I share a first name with a celebrity chef. Celebrity chef. <clears throat> Don't think there's anyone in there called Ainsley. There's no Delias. There must no, be. A... No Gordons. No Gordons. No Genos. There might be a Gino. He is Italian. <laughs> and you've got a smile on your face here. 
I'm so good, bad at holding it. Do you not know? Come on, you got a guess now. Gino. No, I can't think. Um, and the final statement is, I had my heart broken by Primoz Roglic in Paris-Nice. Oh, that's a nightmare. Um, Gino Marder. Gino Marder. Yeah. Completely forgot that his first name was Gino. Um, well, because I was thinking Italian and he's Swiss. So I've played that well there. I'm quite proud of myself. Yeah, we'll call it even after I got it on the first one last week. Yeah, I think I managed to uh, claw myself back after I gave you the answers to the question before that. So, uh... yeah, a bit of redemption. And <laughs> speaking of when I got it first time, Giulio Ciccone, mm. your prediction. Oof. He's doing it. He's doing all right, isn't he? I'll tell you what, the betting companies, if they're listening to this podcast, <laughs> they could be dictating all the odds based on what we're saying. When Tom mentioned a second ago that I messaged him after that Bernal stage, I was not messaging him to tell him what a ride by Bernal or oh, did you see that by Bernal? I was messaging him to brag about where Giulio Ciccone was in the general classification. Third. Yeah, he was he's still not going to stick it. Don't worry. I, I remain true to what I said, that that's an embarrassing prediction and I'm ashamed to be a co-host of this podcast with you. But <laughs> He looks hungry. He looks very hungry. He does, and the way he's talking about it, he is really trying to transition into a GC guy as well, isn't he? He was the only one that could hold Bernal up there. We're still to come uh, to the big mountains. The big mount, the high mountains is his his forte. Anyway, I have three revised predictions for you, Tom, mm-hmm. going into the next two weeks. Well, less than two weeks. The first prediction is that Simon Yates has been very quiet so far. And I think in the high mountains, he will be the main protagonist. Um, I think that's probably a well thought out prediction. I, th- I mean, you look at his form, but this is what we said when we predicted him to walk it last week. Um, the, the form's there. He doesn't look to have struggled. I know Bernal got away from him, but again, that was on the gravel and he's what lost 15 seconds or whatever. So it's not a disaster. He's He's still within a minute of the lead and aside from the DS being kicked off the team they've had a very reasonable race so far uh, bike exchange yeah my second one uh, and this kind of goes against what I'm saying although I would love Giulio Ciccone to win the Giro d'Italia my second revised prediction is that I think he will lose his podium on the final stage that's a brave call yeah I think he'll be he'll be on the podium all the way up until then then I think either Remco or Hugh Carthy, who are both very good time trialists, will uh, will hop him. And you don't think that Yates, Bernal and Remco will already be ahead of him? No, I don't think Remco is going to go the whole way. Mm. He's never done a race longer than seven days. Yeah, but he's he has now. He's just done 10 days now, actually. Yeah. So. <laughs> and he's flagging and already and he couldn't keep uh, up on the gravel. Uh, he was out of position on the gravel. He actually came back. Out of position, well, it's, it's even worse if it means that his tactics aren't in the right place. Um, my final prediction, uh, and this is one for all of you that like to uh, throw your 50p's down the local bookies, is that I think Danny Martinez is going to take a spectacular stage win at some point. On the Zonkelen. I'm not sure if it's going to be that or whether it'll be one of the other kind of summit finishes we have towards the end. I think it'll be one of the other summit finishes we have towards the end. But uh, he looks raring to go. I know. I was so impressed by him at the tour on that 
oh, that climb they invented just to kill off all the cyclists, basically. Uh, was it the Col de la Loz last year? I think I think Lopez won that one, didn't he? Um, no, yeah, you're right. Um, the Col de la Loz was, of course, Lopez. I've got my Colombian riders mixed up and maybe I need to read a bit of that book. <laughs> um, so yeah, Tom, have you got any more uh, revised predictions that you want to give? Uh, not particularly. I think I did have... Do you still think Yates will win it? No, I think Bernal will win it, but I did have Bernal down as my second choice last time, so I don't think I was too far off. Um, but I just think Ineos, once they get into the leaders' jersey, it's very difficult to take it off them. Do you think he'll hold the leaders' jersey for the rest of it now, or do you think it will yo-yo a little bit? I don't think he'll lose it to any of the other big hitters. Maybe a big break gets away on one of them early, but otherwise, that's it. The race is over. Everyone can pack up. <laughs> Uh, and who are you tipping for the sprints now? We've not got... I mean, Tim Melier's pulled out. As we said, Caleb Ewan's pulled out. Uh, good question. Uh, at some point, I'm going to have to stop backing Viviani because he's clearly not very good anymore. Um, <laughs> so, probably Nizzolo. Uh, he's, he's got the points because he keeps finishing second. I think he is probably a bit lighter and can get over the climbs and he is Italian, so he's likely to stick it to the end as long as he doesn't fall off. There you go. There you have it. Um, we will, of course, as always, be passing our unsolicited comments on this race uh, on the social channels. Tom, where can people find those? As always, they can find us at TTPDCST, TT Podcast, with all the vowels taken out. And that is on Instagram and Twitter. Wonderful. Tom, I say we check in on the next rest day and uh, do this all again. Yeah, I will try and watch more of the race in between now and then. Uh, a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.